Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. Good morning, good morning. I am so glad to be back. I missed you. I've, I've, been, I've been gone. Some of you may not know this. I've been gone for a few weeks because we took 136 people to the Holy Land of Israel. Uh, this group right there, that's the yellow bus. We had three buses. Uh, that's the yellow bus that Jack and I led. And we got to be in the very places where God uh, sent his son to step in the, the places where the events of the Bible took place. There's nothing like it. It's such an honor and a privilege uh, for me as a pastor to be on the front line and watch as God transforms hearts and changes lives. And I tell you, there's so many stories in that little group of people there of life change. If you've never been to Israel, you must put it on your bucket list and go. One of the beautiful things about Scripture is that our Bible, our Scripture is unique in that it is grounded in geography. It's about a people and it's about a place. And the events that took place uh, are, happen in a particular place that we can go. We actually can visit and stand right there in those places. And it blows your mind. And it makes the Bible come alive. We realize this is the truth of God's word. And it just changes you. That's just what it does. When we're that close to God, we just, it changes us. And so one of the, the beauties of the land, as you remember, we've been on the book of Joshua. We're talking about the people entering into the promised land. And the land is called the land of? Milk and honey, right? Now, Israel is essentially divided in the northern part is the land of honey because it's a farmland. Everywhere you look, you see farms all over. And obviously, all kinds of fruits, vegetables, flowers grow in these fields, the land of honey. The, northern, the southern part of Israel is drier, more mountainous. It's a perfect land for goats and cows, right? The land of milk, the land of milk and honey. And this land is very fertile. Um, we went to the area of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus himself did his ministry. And the Sea of Galilee is about 695 feet below sea level. And it's positioned around mountains in such a way, it's like a bowl, you know, a little water at the bottom of a bowl. That's what this is like. And the story that we're going to read today is a story that took place right there in the Sea of Galilee. That's the same Sea of Galilee where Jesus calmed the storm. The same Sea of Galilee where he walked on water, the same Sea of Galilee where he selected his apostles, where he caught them fishing and they weren't catching any fish, so he told them, throw it on this side. All of those stories that we read in the Bible happen in that place, and we were right there, which is amazing. The story we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 13, if you have your Bibles, go there if you would. This is another story that happens in the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus, we're told at the beginning of this chapter is being followed by a large crowd of people, and he wants to teach them. And so in order to catch all of them, he gets on the boat, and he teaches to them. Now, you can't see it as well in this picture, but when you're there, there are certain areas where if you're in the water, the land before you, it's kind of like a natural amphitheater. In fact, we actually went to the very place where the Sermon of the Mount took place, and you can see in the geography 
How easy to have all kinds of thousands of people sitting along the landscape and Jesus standing in the water teaching up, teaching to the people, and the voice would have been heard by all. This is one of those stories in Matthew 13. And Matthew 13 is all about a group of parables that Jesus teaches all of the multitudes. Now, let me tell you about parables. Parables are earthly stories with heavenly meaning. Earthly stories in that we hear them, we understand the characters, we understand the events. They are similar, perhaps, to our context. They make sense to us. And we can easily hear the story and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But it isn't just meant to be left at that level. Those stories are reflecting something about the spiritual world. They tell us something about God. They tell us something about ourselves in relationship to God. And these parables in this chapter, they're all about the kingdom of God. Jesus is trying to tell them, listen, God in Scripture is referred to as a Lord. He is indeed a ruler. He is ushering a kingdom. And this is what that kingdom looks like. In the very first parable, it's about being fruitful in that kingdom. It is God's desire that you and I be fruitful, that we would have a life of purpose and meaning, right, and legacy. So I'm going to read the parable to you. And the thing about parables is that because they're basically average stories, if someone doesn't explain it to you, you don't know what the spiritual meaning is. Thankfully, the disciples asked Jesus, what does that mean? How does this connect, Jesus? And Jesus answers the question. So I'm going to read it over you. I'm going to read you the parable and Jesus' explanation of the parable. All right, we'll start right here on verse 3. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still others fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And again, the apostles ask, what does this mean? And Jesus says in verse 18, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to one who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of his life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil, that refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 and 30 times what was sown. In this parable, we have three components, a sower, the sea, and the soil. And we're given a picture of the sower. I have a picture for you of a Palestinian uh, farmer. This is what it looks like, what it looked like back then, even still today. Uh, however, you know, we have a more sophisticated agriculture, right? And we have machines to do this work. But this picture gives us an idea of the sower throwing out the seed. Now, a good farmer would make sure the soil is ready. 
A farmer is not going to throw his seed and waste it somewhere, but he throws out his seed and maybe the wind might catch some of it and ends up in the wrong place, but most of the seed has hoped it will land in the good place. Who's the sower? Now, in this story, we're not told who the sower is, but throughout Scripture, we see a God himself, Jesus, being the sower of our souls. In fact, a parable a little bit later in this chapter describes the sower as the Son of Man, Jesus himself. So it's reasonable to expect that Jesus is saying, I'm the sower. That's a good sower, right? Then we see the seed. He says the seed was scattered throughout, and in verse 19 it says, it was the message about the kingdom. That's the seed. It is the good message of God. And Luke, in chapter 8, verse 11, telling the same parable, gives us a very direct meaning of the seed. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Jesus, the sower, the seed, the word of God, both are good. And it is in the seed that life is actually placed. The soil makes the difference, but the seed is good. It's always good no matter what soil it falls on. You know, as we were there, we went to an area called Masada. I, I won't go into deep detail. You can Google it, and you'll see all kinds of interesting things about it. But Masada is up in the desert of Israel where Jews, not Christians, but Jews, went running away from the Romans. They camped up there for two years, and they were landlocked, and the Romans were after them. And in order to survive, they had all kinds of grain and seeds so they can grow their, um, their crops up there in this mountain. 2,000 years later, as they had been excavating Masada, they found seeds that were from long ago. Some of those seeds were from dates, and they planted them, and they grew palm trees. Is that not amazing? The life in the seed is there it's just a matter of getting some water, some sun, and good soil. And don't we know that here? Like, look at our, our little hills, our big hills here in Orange County. They're pretty dry right now. A good rain, what happens? Boom, it turns green. So the reality is it's the seed is good, the sower is good. The difference here is the soils. And we're given four different soils. And for the guys who are listening to the stories, they would have immediately recognized because they're standing right there. Jesus is talking to them, and they're probably sitting on a soil right there where the farm is taking place. So they would have been able to go, oh, yeah, there's the rocky soil. Oh, there's this soil. It's visible to them. i got some pictures for you to help you, but the first one is the path. Now, the path, Jesus tells us, is where the seeds fall and birds come and eat it. And any good farmer would have created paths between his, uh, his uh, uh, plants because he wouldn't want people to stomp on the plants and kill them, right? And so you have this path, well-traveled. Animals travel through this path. Pretty soon, it's a hard, compacted material. So any seed that falls on that goes nowhere. It doesn't go into the sound. And as soon as the birds come, they're out. So that's not a good soil. It's an unresponsive soil. And he says that's, that's essentially the hard soil. And remember, in verse 19, he says to us, what was sown is sown in the heart. He's talking about the soil is the condition of our hearts, Right? The second one is this rocket, rocky places, and again, a farmer would not just throw seeds over rock, they would throw it over good soil. But the thing about Israel is that even if you see really wonderful soil above ground, beneath it there is slate, and a farmer may not know exactly in their field where is more slate. And so they throw out the seeds, and the plants that are on the slate immediately grow. Why? Because the roots can't go down, so the plant shoots up. The problem is the roots are not deep enough, so as soon as the sun beats on that plant, it's out. It does not produce fruit. 
And Jesus equates that to us when it comes to trouble and, and persecution, that we might immediately, we might be in that place where our roots are not deep enough, and as soon as trouble and persecution comes, our faith falls, right? And all of a sudden, we're not, our life isn't being as fruitful as God wants it to be. The third soil is the thorn soil, which is amazing to me because, you know, weeds, they just grow everywhere, and you cannot get rid of them. My husband is a weed Nazi. He's going around our house, like, killing these things everywhere and pulling them out, and they just pop right back up. Our gardener has a full-time job just getting rid of, of weeds. It's a constant job, and these things, you don't plant them. Does anybody plant weeds? No. They just show up, and they have thorns. They have protection for themselves so that you can't get rid of them, and they grow over the plants, and Jesus equates that to um, the, the issues of our lives, the, the deception of wealth, and that leads us, unfortunately, to be unfruitful. Now, I don't know where your heart is today. On this trip, we had a young man whose father died two years ago, and when his father died, he went in a crisis of faith, and he just could not trust God, couldn't understand why this happened, the way that it happened. And since then, he stopped going to church. He, he stopped being in a small group. He stopped reading God's word. And he was really far away from God. And he only went to Israel because his mother lives here. And she comes to Marinus, and she wanted to go on the trip. And he thought, okay, I'll go like, accompany my mom. All right, God. He came with a hard soil, right? But in the trip, God tilled his soil. And over, over the few days that we were there, God did a remarkable thing. He came back from that trip on fire for the Lord. He met with his wife, had lunch the very next morning, and said, okay, honey, we're going back to church. We're going to be reading God's word. We're going to join a small group. He was on fire. He had a relationship with the Lord renewed. So you might be somewhere in here between the hardened soil or the soil that's really preoccupied with sorrows and worries, or it might be that you're an impulsive soil. You haven't taken the time to dig your, your roots deep in your faith, and so any little thing can knock you out. My prayer is that all of us move more towards that good soil because he tells us about that good soil, that it produces 160, 30 times more than what it was planted, a, an abundant of fruit. Now, how many of us want a fruitful life? How many of you want 100x, 60x, 30x? Keep your hand up. I want to see you. How many of you want a fruitful life? Who doesn't? Who doesn't want a life of purpose? and meaning, and legacy? Who doesn't want their lives to count? Who doesn't wake up and think, what is this life all about? Am I making a difference? Is anybody going to notice that I even existed? When I die, is it going to matter? We all want that. And guess what? God wants that for us as well. God wants us to be fruitful people. He wants us to have a life of purpose. We were created for that. In fact, Ephesians tells us, it is by grace that we're saved, not by anything that we do. And we are saved to do good works. In other words, to be fruitful, to be that good soil, that the sower, God, Jesus himself, the seed, the word of God, would produce in us, in us a life that is incredibly fruitful. That's what God wants. It's in total agreement. Now the question is, how do we till the soil of our hearts? How do we get to that place 
where our heart is ready, our soil is soft and available for that seed to come in. When God gives us a message, when God talks to us, when we read God's word and speaks to us, how do we be sure that our heart is ready to receive what God has for us? And when you read through scripture, you see the Holy Spirit giving us the gifts of the Spirit. He, he makes our hearts soft. He gets us to be kinder, gentler, right? Patient, more self-controlled. But there's other ways in, in which scripture tells us God tills the soil of our hearts. Now, some of them you're not going to like. The first one, suffering, right? Romans 5 says this, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. In our suffering, we actually become, we can become fruitful. If we lean into whatever we might be dealing with, with a heart that says, God, you have it in your hands. I trust you and you alone. Do in me what only you can do. Make this season of my life as painful as it is. Would you make it fruitful? He can. He wants to. God doesn't want to waste a single tear. Romans 8 tells us that he works all things, all things, all things for the good. It's his desire that even in our suffering, our lives can be fruitful. And I think you know that because I don't know about you, in the times of my life where I've been, I suffered, I find that that's the area where I do the most spiritual growing. It's where it gets me to my knees. Back when 9-11 happened, the attacks uh, in, in New York, my daughter was in high school. She was 16 years old. And I remember one day she says, Mom, I noticed something. There's a lot of praying going on. I see it on the news. It's like a lot of talk about prayer. And she was taken aback by that. She says, I wonder how long it's going to last. There's no question that suffering has a way of getting us down to our knees and our hearts open up to what God might have to say to us, right? But how many of us want to be fruitful through suffering? Yeah, I didn't think so, right? Oh, one. well done, sir. You know it's good. You know it's good. All right, the other option is persecution. Because persecution has a way of refining us and really making us understand what we believe and whether or not we want to stand on that. And there's a chance, I know we're in Orange County and you may not have huge persecution in your life, but we all do. We all know the unbeliever who looks at you and says, you poor thing, you got that Christian crutch, you know? You poor thing, you believe that? You have faith in that? You're going to that church again? What's that? You're reading the Bible? I mean, you have people who look at you funny just because you say you're a Christian. That's a form of persecution. Is it sometimes you might find yourself where you might make a choice that is contrary to culture, and they might look at you funny with that. Or there's places around the world where persecution is a life or death issue. Either way, persecution does create fruitfulness in our lives because it presses upon us, and we have to really understand, do I really believe what I say I believe? Am I willing to let it do, make fruit in our lives? And when it does, our lives get fruitful. But again, how many of us want to be fruitful through persecution? Yeah, nobody. So is there another way, Lord? Kind of like Jesus in the garden. God, is there any other way? God says this one, yes. Care for the poor. Care for the poor. He says this. This is in Isaiah. If you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, you need to read this with me. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. In Jeremiah, we're told about a tree planted by a stream of water. The deep, deep roots allow it to not only create shade, but produce fruit. It never ceases to produce fruit. When we care for the poor, 
we have a fruitful life. It's like an automatic, immediate reaction. In fact, in Matthew 19, to the rich young man who says, God, what must I do to go to heaven? Jesus says, give to the poor and follow me. First, follow me. Our salvation comes from Jesus Christ and his grace. No other way. But he says, give to the poor. You will have a fruitful life. You have treasure in heaven, he tells them. Now, here's the thing. Every one of us, at some point or another, we're all going to have needs. It doesn't matter where you're on the spectrum, whether you have a lot or you have very little, somewhere along the journey of your life, you're going to have a need. Maybe you have a need right now. I was talking to a woman this week who is looking to rent a room. She can only afford $500. She's having a really hard time finding a place to live. And I asked her, where are you living now? And she says, well, I'm living uh, in a home, but I have to leave in a few weeks. And there's a friend of mine who has a one-bedroom, a very tiny one-bedroom, also renting it. She's in the same situation I am. And she offered me to come and stay with her for a few days while I found a place. Now, isn't that something? A person in tremendous need, already having very little, willing to help someone who has very little. So even if you have little, know that even you can care for the poor and the needy and make a difference and have your life be fruitful. And how much more so those of us who have a lot, right? In Galatians 6, 9, Paul says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, read this with me, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. A harvest. Let us not ever be weary of caring for the poor and the needy, the marginalized, the neighbor who can't keep a job the friend who is struggling financially, the friend who perhaps is living in a house with 10 other people because that's the only way they can make things happen, the family who has a child of special needs and is overwhelmed by that responsibility, the single mother who's raising children by themselves, the refugee who is in our midst and doesn't have a clue how our culture works, doesn't know how to fit in. When we do these things, when we don't get tired of doing these things, our lives are fruitful. Now, listen, I know it can be hard. I know you're going, yeah, but that's hard. It can be very draining when we step out of our comfort zone and help someone else. Years ago, I went to Peru with my husband, and we were delivering wheelchairs. And we stopped by this man's house who was clearly disabled, laying on his mattress, unable to get up, bathe himself, go to the bathroom, just imagine the scene. In this teeny little, really a box, a wooden box that he lived in, there was just enough room for his mattress and just a little chair. We took him out of that room into the light, and we placed him on the wheelchair, and he was filthy. His hair was filthy. His clothing was filthy. Of course, he smelled because he had been laying in, in all of his waste. And so we took the mattress away, and we replaced it with a new mattress. They had heard about this man, and they knew to bring a mattress. And while they were setting up and cleaning up the room, some of us helped clean him up. I was given the task to wash his hair. And some of the women were like, oh, are you sure you want to touch his hair? You're going to end up with some bugs in your hair. And the thought crossed my mind. And it was a little gross. I had no gloves or anything fancy to do it with. And there we were right in, in the middle of this neighborhood with a bucket and soap, and we washed this man's hair. And as I was washing his hair, I had this scripture in mind that Jesus said, truly I tell you, whenever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And I just kept 
as uncomfortable as I was, as out of my comfort zone as this was, I just kept thinking, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. I'm just loving on Jesus. And my relationship with the Lord grew tighter. When that man was dressed and clean, his place was clean, and he was sitting in his wheelchair, his dignity was restored, and my life was changed. See, there's something incredibly beautiful when we step out and we love on the poor, when we care for the poor. Not only is our life fruitful, but we are changed. Our hearts are changed. The soil of our heart is made ripe for God's word to produce even more fruit. And so when we take that step, we think, oh, we're going to go over there and help somebody else. But in reality, we're the ones who are also experiencing great fruit. Isn't that wonderful? That this way that God calls us to grow in fruitfulness, it's a symbiotic kind of thing. We get some benefit. They get some benefit. The kingdom gets a benefit. The Lord is glorified. It's all good. Why wouldn't we do it? Why wouldn't we do it? Jesus says, if you care for the poor, you care for me. If you neglect the poor, you neglect me. Right? We don't want to do that. It's a choice. It's a choice we should make. It's actually in Hebrews 13 says, it's a choice that pleases the Lord. It says, do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And so we make a choice. First John tells us, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need and has no pity, how can the love of God be in them? You know why we choose to love? Because we were once loved. We don't love out of a place of scarcity. We love out of a place of abundance. And while it might be uncomfortable for us because we might be caring for someone that is different than us, maybe speaks a different language, eats different food, lives in a different neighborhood, behaves differently, all of that might be true, but while we focus in that moment of just pleasing our God, not because he demands out of us, not because our salvation is dependent on God, but out of gratitude for his abundant love towards us. We get to choose love. I want to show you a video of a, of a, um, a story of someone choosing love. It's a beautiful story. And then after that story is heard, when the video is done, I've invited Paul Hahn, he's part of our outreach ministry, to come up and share with us how it is that we can choose love. This is the beauty of Mariner's Church. For 30 years, it has been our single focus to be outwardly bound towards those who are needy. This church is, that is our DNA. We are people who care for the poor, the marginalized, the refugee, the lost, the single moms, the widows, all of the issues that are around our county. And so Paul's going to give us a chance to know where to go in and how to take that first step or second or third or fourth step. So after the video, please welcome Paul. Watch this. Life was now hard before I met Andy. Life was easy when I had Andy with me. Andy was awesome. My journey started 10 years ago when I became a single mother. Preston was born with Fragile X Syndrome. And basically that just means that he's challenged in all areas of development. And I looked for help within the community through church, church I had been attending. 
and they just uh, didn't have the means to be able to help me with Preston. I was isolated and I was alone and I didn't know how I was going to do this and how I was going to go on and I actually had thought that I, I don't know how I'm going to live. I met Andy and I shared with him Preston's challenges and he says no problem. Going into youth development was a calling for me and then when I met Preston a lot came into the light. Uh, I soon learned that anytime that you work with these students, these kids, you, you, you realize that you're the one that is getting more out of it than you can ever give them. And the appreciation, the, un, the unconditional love that they show is, is something that uh, you don't get to experience too often. And the reason we call it Exceptional Families is because we want to love not only on the individual with disabilities, we want to love the family. I was shocked and surprised because it was so, it was so easy and it had been so, so hard and I almost, I almost couldn't believe that somebody was saying, okay, that we're going to give this a try. Preston was so excited and he came home and all he talked about were, you know, the kids and, and how much fun he had with everyone. And day two came and day three came and Preston is starting to excel. And he's excelling because he has a place to call his own. He has a community. Serving them helped me look biblically at how the Lord has called us to serve this community. And they are fearfully and wonderfully made. And it gave me purpose for service. It, it wasn't until I felt their love that I truly felt God's love and when you step out of yourself to serve a community, you realize how impactful that one step could possibly be. Wow, can we give a round of applause for that story and what God is doing through our Exceptional Families Ministry? Um, so as Ines said, my name is Paul, and I, I would love to share more about how we as a church get to choose love and I love that everything we've been hearing today from, from Andy's story of stepping in and taking that first step, um, and even the parable of the sower, is all about our response to God's great love for us, that he did everything that we need, and we just get to respond from a place of being so, so dearly loved. And so, um, to just give more information about what Choose Love is, I wanted to share why we're choosing love, how that might look like, and then what we're inviting you into. And so the why is really simple, and we've been hearing it all morning, and the why is the gospel. The why is that seed that he scattered, and it's that good news that God so loved us. He so loved each and every one of us that he gave us his son. And so we get to choose love because God first chose to love us. And so that's the why. And then the how can we do that? It's also in the gospel. He gave us his son. And he modeled that perfect love of what it looks like to choose love through the life of Jesus. We see that Jesus chose love, chose to love by coming close. He came as a man and he, he experienced all the ups and downs of humanity. So he knows each and every one of our pains, our sufferings, our grief, our loss. 
Jesus chose to love by coming close, and that's what he invites us into. Another way Jesus showed love and chose to love is through compassion. We see that Jesus always draws near to those who are brokenhearted, those who are mourning, the blind, the sick, and he draws near to them to bring comfort. And that's another way that that Jesus invites us into choosing love is through his compassion. Another way is that we we hear in, in the word of God that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he gave that up so that he could come as a servant. And that's what he invites us into as well, to serve in humility. And finally, we see in the greatest example of his love and how he modeled it for us, which is the cross. The cross is the ultimate culmination of his proximity and coming close to us, of his compassion of his humility, and it shows that Jesus operating out of a place of being the beloved son of God, Jesus operating out of his identity and his purpose of of being the Christ and being our Messiah, lived a life of surrender, and he, he chose love by surrendering. And so as we're hearing today about what it looks like to be the fertile soil and to choose love, I love that God knows us so well to know that all we need to know is that we are chosen and loved, that God first loved us, and two, that we can model our lives after Jesus by choosing to draw close, by choosing compassion, by choosing humility, and ultimately a life of surrender, because it's surrendered lives that God causes to bear fruit. And so before I invite you into the, the practical next steps, I did want to share a quick story, and I love it. It's, it's fun they're a member of our chapel family. They're sitting right here, Dave and Susan Watkins. So one of you, um, one of you guys, um, I wanted to share a story of how God is using surrendered lives to bear much fruit. And Dave and Susan are friends of mine, so I was just catching up with Susan the other day. And they're leading our Haiti ministry. And you would think, oh, these are leaders. They, they were always passionate about Haiti. But it's funny that Susan and Dave's story started out with a very reluctant hesitant, yes. Um, Susan shared with me about how she had a fear of earthquakes, which if you know the history of Haiti, it probably isn't the first place that you would choose if you have a fear of earthquakes. Um, I'm also praying for her because we live in California, so there's earthquakes here as well. Um, And so Susan, that yes wasn't an easy yes. There was fear, there was anxiety, And yet she chose to hear God's voice and take that first step and say that yes. And for Dave, he did, I don't think he even said yes. He just wanted to go and protect Susan. He was like, I can't send my wife off on my, on her own. So I need to go and and protect her. Um, And and he was coming out of of a tough season as well. And so God used their hesitant, their fearful yes, but still a yes of a surrendered life. And that led them to yes, after yes, to another yes, and resulted in this beautiful, beautiful ministry and life and family that is surrendered to God and bearing much fruit. Because because of that yes, I know that Dave and Susan have an understanding of how God speaks to them, and they have a dependence on him that is so beautiful. Because of that yes, they have a family in Haiti Um, who treats them like family, who they love dearly like family, and 55 kids who know that they are leaders, that they're the future that Haiti needs because of the love that Dave and Susan have poured out. 
They have two daughters because of their yes who also live out a life of service and of loving others. Because of their yes, they've become leaders that they didn't think that they could be, but God always knew that they were. And that's the fruit that God wants to bear in each of our lives. Um, so how are we going to do that? I want to invite you in to um, our next steps. And we have two ways that we want to invite you into living the surrendered life to choose yes and it just, or choose love and it just takes um, that first yes. And so the first way we want to invite you to choose love is by giving. And we're going to say that we're, we're asking everyone to give $39.95, but it's actually not about the amount. The heart behind the give is that everyone is invited to play, that we can only make a difference when all of us as the body of Christ together, united, join in. And so we know that $39.95, for some people in some seasons, that feels like everything you have, and we understand. And so if you need to move that decimal either way, if you, if you're, if you can only give $3.95, or if you're in a season where you're like, $39.95 is not enough. God has been so good to me. His love is so great for me that I need to respond by moving the decimal the other way. Praise God for either way, because you know what it looks like for you in this season to respond to God's great love and choose love. And you, you can rest assured that every dollar is going to go towards serving the lost, the lowest, the least of these through our outreach ministries. And we, uh, I will share how you can do that after. But the second way um, that we're, we're asking you to choose love is through serving. And we have so many great opportunities. I love the story that we got to see with Andy, that all it takes is someone to come in to a, to a dark or hopeless situation and say, I see you, I love you, and there's a place in our community for you that can radically change a family, that could radically change a life. And so here are six opportunities for us as a church to step in and just show people in our community, those especially who have different needs or are struggling, that our church loves them and we see them and we're standing alongside them. So we have the Resource Center and Food Pantry um, that services so many families throughout our county. Um, with, with different needs. We have our Lighthouse Community Center's Fall Festival. Every Throughout the year, we partner with families in um, North OC and Santa Ana and Orange and our new center in Irvine. And we get to come alongside families um, with under-resourced uh, um, youth and love them well and just have a fun day. Um, we have our refugee family picnic, um, where, as Inez was saying, we have people right in our backyards who have fled from home due to persecution, um, who have left everything that they know and are familiar with and comfortable with behind. And we get to say that as a church, we love you, we see you, and we stand with you. And it's over food, so who doesn't like that? Um, we have Foster Youth and Families Daycation. We have our exceptional families dancing without limits. If you want to relive your high school dance days and serve by dancing and, and coming alongside these families with special needs, you can do that. And finally, we have our Thanksgiving food sorting and food drive, which you'll see these outside as well, where we're coming alongside 900 families in Orange County that otherwise would not have a hot meal on Thanksgiving Day. And that's what we're doing as a church. So I want to invite you. You'll see me. You'll see other people out on the patio with Choose Love shirts. And we want to invite you to choose love by giving and by serving. And so come find us.
Well, there we go. All of us can say yes one way or another today. I hope you will lean in as we respond to what God has said to us today. This beautiful picture that God is the good sower. He gives us the good seed, and he even works at tilling our soil so that we can be fruitful. Well, I want to invite you to visit the stations as we worship. Um, the table of communion, beautiful picture of the sacrifice that Jesus did for us, his body, his blood shed for us so that we might have life to the fullest. The cross of confession towards the back, where we know that we don't live in condemnation. We can let that go in Jesus' name and live the life that he has for us. We light candles of hope. Our elder is right up front here for prayer, our prayer team around the room, and our offering boxes along the back. All of these are ways in which we can have a continued conversation with God. So would you stand? And I want to pray for you as you go. Father, as you've spoken to us today, we want to have a conversation and a meeting with you. And so as we walk around this room and visit these various stations, would you speak, oh God? Would you guide us as to what is our next step? What should that be? Would you open our eyes, God, to see others the way that you see them? Would you give us a heart that breaks for what breaks yours? Father, would you help us go beyond our circumstances and take that step even if it's scary or inconvenient or challenging? Father, speak to us. Comfort those who need comfort. Bring hope to those who feel hopeless. Bring freedom to the captives in this time. This is your special holy moment to speak to us. Father, we're here. We're listening. We want to be with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead. Make a holy mess. Go to whatever station you want to go through first, and then we'll worship together. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again.